This is George Guthrie. Would you give him a big welcome? He's opening the scriptures with us today. It is a privilege to have my friend preach for us. And uh, I was here for the first gathering, so I already know it's good. You know, you know, you're, you're an expectation, which is that's what this season's about. But I'm going to build that a little bit. Okay. Yeah, because it's great. Uh, it is a real privilege and a real honor to have George with us today. Would you stand with us for the reading of God's word? Today's scripture comes from Luke 1, 76 to 79. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It is uh, great to be with you guys. Of course, I'm with you every week. I just sit over there uh, most weeks, and it's wonderful just to have a chance to open up uh, the Word with you this morning. We are about to move into preparation mode in our household because our daughter Anna is going to be coming for Christmas, and we're really, really excited about that. So if you know Pat, you know that the house is going to be spotless by the time Anna gets here, uh, Pat already is planning out meals. We're planning outings, so we're going to go to Van Dusen to see the lights and you know different things like that around the city. And of course, we've already started uh, going all over the place trying to find uh, gifts, getting the the kids uh, kind of gift list uh, going. My goal uh, this year is just not to do anything that would embarrass my daughter during Christmas. And let me tell you why that is. Uh, the first Christmas we were here in Vancouver, we had gone out one day uh, shopping, and we took Anna um, out to various stores. And one of the places we went was to Carousel Lumber. Uh, if you've ever been to Carousel Lumber, they have all these amazing gifts and, you know, grilling area and all of this kind of stuff. And so we were uh, kind of working our way through the store, and uh, it actually, there was hardly anybody there at all. We were pretty much the only ones who were there. So it was kind of this lovely Christmas moment. And I came around this one display, and Anna, who had on a black puff jacket and dark curly hair, she was kind of down on the floor looking at something that was kind of under one of the tables. And as I came by in this just moment of fatherly affection... I reached out and I just tussled her hair as I walked by. And she looked up at me and it wasn't Anna. <laughs> it was this middle-aged woman who I'd never seen in my life who had this very perplexed look on her face. And I was so embarrassed. I just profusely just apologized and she said, well, if that's the worst thing you do today, it won't be too bad, you know, so, uh, but it was just so, and of course my daughter was mortified, you know, dad, come on. So I'm just really uh, wanting to keep from embarrassing her uh, this Christmas season. Christmas can be stressful, can it, you know, with all the stuff that is going on. What are you going to do to prepare over the next month, as we come up in these weeks coming up to Christmas, what are you doing to get ready for that? Some of you will be planning a big meal where the whole family is going to come together. 
Some of you are already thinking about decorating. You probably already started decorating your houses. Some of you are working out shopping lists and others are just planning for holiday space. You know, this is a time of year where some people, this, these are the only weeks they get off all year, a couple of weeks kind of at Christmas time. And you're thinking, I want to really, really use that time well. So how are you planning your time off? One writer notes for a lot of people, the holidays are physically frenetic, emotionally overwhelming, and spiritually distracting. Few, few slow down long enough to ponder what's happening in their own souls or to give more than a passing thought to the significance of the season, God coming to earth. And this morning, I want to challenge us to think about our preparation to slow down and think about how we're going to get our hearts ready for the coming of Christ or the celebration of the coming of Christ at Christmas. In the history of the church, this has normally been referred to as Advent, which in the Christian calendar is the first part of the year. This is actually the beginning of the new year in the history of the church. It begins on the fourth Sunday before Christmas, so technically it begins next Sunday, and what we're going to do this morning is think through how can we get ready as we walk into that season. It's often been celebrated in various ways with things like fasting, but the lighting of candles in services and around personal tables at home. Some people read scripture on a daily basis, and a little bit later I'm going to just talk to you a bit about some of these resources that the church is going to make available during this Advent season. But I want to ask you to think about for yourself, are you ready? Are you ready for this season as we move into Advent? Now, to think about that, we're going to look at this passage from Luke chapter 1, verses 76 through 79. Luke, interestingly, doesn't start his gospel with the birth of Jesus. He starts his gospel with the birth of John the Baptist because John had a very, very special role, and that was he was to be a prophet who would speak to people and get them ready for the coming of Jesus in his ministry. And so these words that we're looking at this morning are taken from a prophecy by John's father, just a few days after John was born, and he spoke these words over John the Baptist to say, you, child, are going to be a preparer, one who gets people ready for a coming of the Christ, the Messiah. So let's look at our passage. It begins like this. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Now you have a couple of words here. Uh, one of these Greek terms means to kind of lead the way to go ahead of someone, to walk ahead of them or maybe travel ahead of them when you're going someplace. And the other one means to get things ready for the coming of someone or something. Notice that what John is to do is John is going to go before, he's going to chart out a path, and he's going to prepare for the coming of 
the Lord. Now this word is the same word used in the Greek Old Testament, the translation of the Old Testament that many people in the first century would have been using. It's the same word that is used of Yahweh, the Lord God. And so the prophecy is that in some way what John is doing is he's going to be a preparer for the coming of the Lord God to earth in a new way. And we know that that is in the person of Jesus himself. A few years ago, um, my friend Ian Proven and I were going on a camping trip. Uh, we were going with a group of guys up to the uh, Roche Lake area. And my job was to go ahead and kind of reserve the camping site and begin to get things set up to prepare the way for the coming of these guys. Now, when we look at this part of the prophecy of John the Baptist, I want us to think about this idea of John going ahead to prepare the way of Jesus. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for the coming, ready to celebrate his birth as you live for him? At Advent this year, will you give to him your hopes your life, your all. Are you ready? Ready for the coming? Well, we're going to look at three points from this passage this morning that will help us think about that. First of all, we're going to talk about preparing by reflecting deeply on the gospel. Secondly, preparing by embracing hope. And third, preparing by recommitting yourself to Godward patterns of life. So first of all, prepare by reflecting deeply on the gospel. Again, we read in our passage, and you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give His people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. So one of the things that John was going to do is he was going to go before Jesus to prepare people by helping them understand something, to understand salvation. Now that's a word that we've heard, those of us who have grown up in the church all our lives, but this term was not originally a religious term. If you go back and you look at that word as it's used in the writings of the ancient world, it was a word that could mean generally uh, someone being saved from some type of mortal danger, some perilous situation. So, for instance, it was used for those who had been in war and their lives were threatened in war or they had been taken into slavery and them being delivered, saved out of that type of situation. It's a word that could be used of someone being saved from drowning in a shipwreck. In fact, the ancient Greek writer Plutarch uses this word to describe how a young woman was saved by a dolphin who came by, and she grabbed hold of the dolphin, and it took her to shore. But the most common way this word is used in the ancient world are people who had been healed or cured from illness. They were saved from dying when they had been sick. And that was a, a thing that happened a lot 
in the ancient world because they didn't have antibiotics. And people died of illness all the time. Now, you and I know what that feels like. Some of you have been in a situation where you'd gone and you'd had an ultrasound and there was a mass in your abdomen. And then you found out that it wasn't cancer. And suddenly you felt like you could breathe again. Some of you have had cancer. And that cancer has gone into remission. The process has worked. We actually have members in our midst who have been healed of cancer. And that idea of being saved from something that is really, really life-threatening is the language that the early Christians used to describe why Jesus came into the world to deal with sin and to put us in a right relationship with God. Because the fact is that sin is much more perilous and pernicious than cancer is because of the way that it affects and shapes our lives. Now, some of you feel that and know that. You know that the patterns of your life are harming you. And you feel the need for deliverance from this deep hole that you've gotten yourself into emotionally and spiritually. Others of us, we go through our patterns of life and we just feel like the things that we're doing, the way that we're thinking are normal. And sometimes that's even more dangerous because we feel comfortable with the patterns of life that really are not in line with the rhythms of the way that God wants our lives to be in the world. Sin can destroy and truncate who you are as a person. And it can cut us off from our ultimate purpose, which is to know God, to know the life and the joy that He brings to us. Now, I've adapted a definition of sin from what is called the New City Catechism, and it describes sin in this way. Sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world He created. Living self-centered lives without reference to Him and in ways that displease Him, resulting in our spiritual death and the disintegration of all creation. Uh, the New Testament actually says that sin doesn't just affect us individually, it affects us in our network of relationships, and it even has an effect on the whole created order. And we can see that by the impact of human beings in the world, right? Sin is universal. Paul tells us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. It is pervasive. Biblically, every aspect of our lives is affected by sin. Even the way we think about sin is affected by sin. And it's effective. It kills us spiritually. It cuts us off from knowing God the way that we should. In Romans 6.23, Paul said that the wages or the pay for sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Excuse me, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So what Christ came to do and what John is preparing people for is Christ came to save us 
from that process, to deliver us out of a life that is lived without reference to God so that we might know the life that he really wants us to have. Christ came to bring us forgiveness of sin. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was waiting in a Nazi prison cell in 1943. He had been taken into custody by the Nazis. He was a great theologian in Germany at that time. It was a few weeks before Advent, and he wrote this to a friend. A prison cell in which one waits, hopes, does various unessential things, and is completely dependent on the fact that the door of freedom has to be opened from the outside is not a bad picture of Advent. We need someone to come and, in a sense, open the door of life for us in a way that we cannot open it ourselves. And what Christ has done is he has come after us. He has come into the world, made himself vulnerable as a human being because he could not have died if he had not been human. But he did that to lead us out into a better way of life. World War II was drawing to a close. The German army was sending children to man the lines in a futile attempt to stop the Allied invasion into their homeland. It was March 1945, and one of the young soldiers on the German side was named Karl Schlesier. He remembers this time, writing, I was in a battalion of teenage grenadiers, fresh out of training, and was sent into the front line east of the Rhine River after American forces had established a foothold on the east bank. Fresh American units were pushed across, and our battalion was ordered to plug a hole in the front line. We dug in three companies abreast on a slight rise in front of the little town of Kirchhellen. I was with the first company in the center of the position. My company numbered about 80 teenagers. In bitter fighting, American troops pushed through on both sides but got stuck in front of my company. About 17 or 18 of us were left. We huddled in two-man foxholes. On the morning of March 28th, amid smoldering tanks and twisted bodies, there suddenly came an eerie silence. I looked over the hole I shared with a buddy and I saw no life but movement in a busted roof of a farmhouse about 200 yards away. Feeling sudden panic, Schlesier writes, he stood up in his foxhole and he fired four rapid shots at nothing in particular. The eerie silence was broken then, after a few moments, by a single voice, a lone American soldier who was an indigenous American, had walked calmly toward the entrenched Germans, saying in a low voice, come on out, come on out. Three words that communicated hope, a way to life out of death. These young Germans dropped their weapons and took off their helmets, tossing them back into the foxhole. 
The American soldier told them to put their hands on their heads, and then he turned and walked toward the American lines without looking back as the German soldiers followed. Think about that moment of vulnerability in order to lead these people to life. And that's what Christ came to do for us. When we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate His coming as a vulnerable, poor child in a backwater part of the Roman Empire in order to initiate something that would transform the world. Bono, the celebrated singer of U2 fame, commented on the Christmas story. It had dawned on me before, but it really sank in. The Christmas story, the idea that God, if there is a force of love and logic in the universe, that it would seek to explain itself is amazing enough. That it would seek to explain itself and describe itself by becoming a child born in straw, poverty. I just thought, wow, just the poetry, unknowable love, unknowable power describes itself as the most vulnerable. There it was. I was sitting there and it's not that it hadn't sunk, struck me before, but tears came down my face and I saw the genius of this. And we can prepare for Christmas by thinking very, very deeply, by reflecting deeply on the nature of this good news. That's what gospel means, this good news of what Christ has accomplished for us. Now, one of the ways that we can do that, just very practically, is by the practice of Advent readings. Pat and I have done this uh, for years. And there are several resources. Uh, Brett mentioned the uh, reading guide using the Storybook Bible. So if you have littles, uh, then you can do that with them. But we also are putting on the website a reading plan that you can use as an adult to just do simple readings every day. What we do is we actually do that at supper time. So we will, before we have the meal, we will um, read the text together and pray. And it's a wonderful rhythm to do during this time of year. Uh, there's another link that you'll find on the website that is from Biola University in the United States. And they send out a thing daily where you have daily devotions, but you also have a piece of art to reflect on and a, a song that is included with the daily devotion. So uh, those are going to be some resources that you can look for on the website uh, this coming week. But are you ready? Are you ready for the coming? Ready to celebrate His birth as you live for Him? At Advent this year, will you give to Him your hopes, your life, your all? Are you ready? Ready for the coming? Well, prepare by reflecting deeply on the Gospel. Secondly, and by the way, the first point was my longest one. The next two are not going to be quite as long. Brett says that every now and then, so I'm uh, just mirroring him a bit. All right, so our second point is prepare by embracing hope. Prepare by embracing hope. The passage again reads, and you child will be called 
a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give His people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. And then Zechariah continues, because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death. Beautiful, beautiful imagery here. This image of the dawn from on high will shine on us. Um, there, Zechariah's father is actually riffing on Isaiah 9-2, which was a prophecy about the coming of Messiah, where Messiah would, would come and would bring light to the world in a special way. And the imagery that's used is the imagery of the dawn rising. I remember a number of years ago, I was, I was flying to um, another country internationally, and we were coming, and I could look out the window, and I could see the moment that the sun started to rise on the horizon. And because uh, there, there wasn't uh, kind of a filter with dust and all of that kind of thing uh, out there, it was like a curtain lifted. As the light came up, there was a perfect line between the light and the darkness initially. It was beautiful and just kind of astounding. But you saw the light, in essence, pushing up, pushing back the darkness. And the imagery that's described here is John prepares for the coming of Jesus, which would be like dawn coming into a dark world. The light pushing into the world in a dynamic way. And I don't have to tell you that we need light. We live in a world that is terribly dark. I've thought a lot lately about those people who are in Ukraine at this moment without electricity, without water, without sewage, who are living hand to mouth, just trying to survive. It is a dark world for them. You think about the situation with Israel on both sides of the wall. With those who are going into battle, I know some of the people from the Israeli side who have been sent to the front lines. They work at a school that I've taught at over there. And you think about those people in Gaza who are in a collapse of everything around them in terms of their basic needs being met. Imagine being sick or close to death and not even being able to get the care that you need in a hospital. So you have a dynamic there which is desperately dark. Desperately dark. And I know that there are people in our community this morning who are dealing with depression. Um, right now, depression is, is at an all-time high in North America. And if you've ever experienced that, you know the deep well that depression can be, and you feel like there's just no way out. Some of you may be dealing with broken relationships, uncertainty about your future in terms of work, maybe a sense of purposelessness and meaninglessness in life. The world can be a tremendously dark place. And what Christ came to do, what Christ's birth is a celebration of, 
is a pushing back against that darkness. It's not just a pie-in-the-sky kind of religious hope. It's reality as Christ brings transformation of life. And so, Jesus was born into a very dark world. Israel at the time of Christ was an occupied territory by the Romans. The king who was allowed to rule over the Jewish people on behalf of the Romans was a megalomaniac. Herod, two years before the birth of Christ, had killed two of his sons because he thought they were plotting to overthrow his son. And then he killed his wife, the one wife that we think he actually loved, because he was paranoid. He was a violent violent man. And Matthew tells us that when Herod heard about the birth of the Messiah, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And that Greek term means to to be, it's like a storm. It's a word that describes just being desperately unsettled. And that's the world that Jesus was born into. I love the nostalgia of Christmas, but it was not a silent night that Jesus was born into. It was a desperately dark night. And Christ came to bring the light of hope to people who were walking in darkness. And I want to tell you this morning that if you are struggling against the darkness, that there is hope to be found in Christ. The story is told of kind of how Christmas trees came into the world. We're not sure that this is completely historically uh, accurate, but the story goes that Martin Luther was out walking one night. Martin Luther was uh, the one who launched the Protestant Reformation. And it was very dark, and he was walking through a pine forest, and he was just thinking about Christmas. And he was reflecting on the light of the stars shining down in the world, And looking up through the pine trees, he saw the stars lighting up the edges of the trees. And so what he did is he cut down a pine, took it home, set it up, and then he he attached candles to the limbs of the tree in order to teach his children about the light of Christ coming into the world at this time. Now, don't try this at home, okay, with the candles. But the idea was that this would be a way of celebrating the light coming into the world through the birth of Christ. John Mark Comer writes, The evergreen tree is symbolic in that it's a sign of life in the dead of winter. But it's the lights on the evergreen tree that resonate at a deep level That feel of light in the darkness, longest night of the year, is a kind of archetypal image of Christ's coming. And so this year, as you think about your Christmas tree, and you're putting up those lights, reflect deeply that they are an image of hope, of pushing back the darkness. Now we as a church are doing a lot in that regard, so we have... Various kinds of ministries that are here to help people in the neighborhood, to provide food for people in the city. One of the things that we did um, in our family as a part of our yearly rhythm during this time is 
we um, gave gifts through a ministry called World Vision. There are a lot of ministries who do this, but World Vision every year would send out a little magazine in which they would describe gifts that you could participate in giving, whether a goat or chickens or a well or something like that, you could participate in providing for people around the world. And when our kids were very small, we gave them a certain amount of money and they could pick out the gift that they would then send to people uh, through World Vision to help push back the darkness. As they got older, they started saving up and doing that themselves. In fact, our son, Joshua, when he was 16 years of age, he said, you know, I really, really want to give a water well, but there's no way that I can save up enough money to do that. So he started a ministry called Dollar for a Drink and started challenging other teenagers and said to them, if you will give up one drink and give one dollar, we can raise enough money to... uh, to provide a well for someone in Sudan, Africa, for a village in Sudan, Africa. And over a period of three years, he raised enough money to provide for three wells and about 400 filtration systems to go in people's homes. But it's that rhythm that we need to be in of thinking through how can we embrace hope ourselves how can we, in our darkness, reach out to other people in our communities? How can we think about the implications of what Christ has brought to bring us hope? And then how can we participate in helping to give hope to other people and pushing back that darkness? Are you ready to do that this season? Are you ready? Ready for the coming? Ready to celebrate His birth as you live for Him? At Advent this year, will you give to Him your hopes, your life, your all? Are you ready? Ready for the coming? So we can prepare for that by reflecting deeply on the gospel. We can prepare by embracing hope. And then third and finally, we prepare by recommitting to Godward patterns of life. Again, in our passage And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give His people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death. And then Zechariah continues, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This word for guide could mean to keep someone on a straight path. And you and I need guidance, don't we, in life? We all feel the need for guidance. Uh, my Ken, my uh, friend Ken Morrison, I'm, I'm not sure if Ken is here this morning, but he's... Uh, brother who's a little bit older than me. And when I came to BC, I wanted to get into different kinds of fishing. And Ken has kind of taken me under his wing. And and this season is really exciting because Ken is going to take me on a guided fishing trip to to fish for steelhead uh, in a few weeks from now, a couple of months from now. Uh, Steelhead is a big trout. You can actually see them uh, for sale to eat in the grocery stores and that kind of thing. Uh, Thus far, Ken and I have not been a great threat to the steelhead population of BC. They're a very hard fish to catch. They're called the fish of a thousand casts. 
But we are going to have a guide who is going to guide our feet in the way of steelhead. He's going to show us where to go, how to walk, the processes of how to go about fishing so that we will be successful in that. The fact is, what God has given us in His Word is guidance. He shows us how to walk in the way of peace. Psalm 32.8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eyes upon you. And then another beautiful psalm, Psalm 26, 2 and 3, says, Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and mine, for your faithful love guides me, and I will live by your truth. Is that where you are right now? In your relationship with the Lord? Are you open to Him shaping your life, guiding your feet in the way of peace? so that you know how to live well in this world? Whether you're talking about your business, how to make decisions in relationships, are you living by pressures or more by principles that God gives us in the Scriptures? How you deal with problems, what you think is valuable in the world. The Scripture is there to help us know how to live well. I read recently a a really amazing story about a young man named Jacob Smith. He's 15 years old, and he's he's actually a competition snow skier. The thing that's interesting about Jacob is he's legally blind. It's a true story. He has no depth perception, and he has extreme tunnel vision. And so on the day of a competition, his brother, Preston, guides him up to the top of the hill and then with a two-way radio in his pocket turned up loudly, his father, Nathan, is down at the bottom of the hill and guides him step by step as he skis down the hill, telling him when to turn right, when to turn left. I don't see how that works, but (laughs) evidently it does. And it works because he trusts his father. When he says, turn this way, he turns. And what God wants to do in this season of our lives is bring us back to rhythms and patterns of life, which basically are bringing our lives before him and trusting him that he knows what is best for us in the way that we live our lives. Now, one of the ways we live this out in our family, uh, kind of working on patterns of life, is we, we had a nativity scene, and everything was in the nativity scene except for baby Jesus. And so it was empty, and there was a pile of straw, and every time someone in the family did something that was kind, they could go take a piece of straw and put it in the, the manger in the uh, crib for the baby Jesus. And we would do that for the month coming up to the time of Christmas Day. And then on Christmas morning, I, last service I said it was Christmas Eve. Pat reminded me it was actually the morning. 
What we would do is I would put clues all through the house and the kids would follow those clues and a clue would take them to the mirror in our bathroom and then somewhere else. And they would follow the clues all the way through and find the baby Jesus. And then they would go put baby Jesus in the manger. But what we were doing is we were building rhythms of life where all of us were working at being kind. Those patterns of life that would work to bring us together. So, brothers and sisters, are you ready? Are you ready for a fresh coming of Christ as you celebrate this season? Are you ready for the coming? Ready to celebrate His birth as you live for Him at Advent this year? Will you give to Him your hopes, your life, your all? Are you ready? Ready for the coming? Well, we can do that by preparing and reflecting deeply on the Gospel, by embracing hope, and by recommitting ourselves to Godward patterns of life. May we do that as we move into Advent this year together. Would you please stand with me as we respond to God's Word?